Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole. And Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode's debut poetry collection is a finalist for the 2022 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. Here she is to introduce herself. And Antonyms for a Daughter is my first collection of poetry. came out with Viacule Press um, last September. In our conversation, Jenny and I talk about antonyms, of course, and how she approached writing about her family. Jenny starts our conversation with a reading from Antonyms for Daughter. After we fight about suicide. Strained, storm-swollen gutters, my mother's eyes, blue as the noble firs, spruce she watches disappear into a sheath of fog. The neck of the woods caught in a loose noose. I wonder if she can bring herself to regard the fireweed embalmed by hands of snow, laid across mounds of stiff earth. I'm acres away, flatlands, three hours ahead of her. So dark now, I can't see what the trees are thinking. I flick the light switch, lift a cold egg from its cardboard nest. Whose hands kept it this far from ruin? And yet, this close, Flame threatens the cast iron pan I smack the egg against. It barely cracks. I press thumbnail to shell and it only bends. She once taught me how to break one. My small hand curled around the dense orb, her hand warm over mine. You only get one try, she said, to break it perfectly, its yoky heart unruptured, then pulled our hands back for the thrust. You wake disoriented in late afternoon's velvet light. Drawn to the kitchen sill, you slice blood oranges, reheat dark roast from this morning. A chicken carcass ages in your fridge, though the meat has long been torn, picked from its wishbone. You can't fall asleep and wake to the same day the blue hour stirring, without horn-startled memories rushing in, the last time you heard your mother breathing, or the night your father came home from driving train, something wasn't quite right, but he didn't say anything until you were older, told you he hit a dark figure stalking the tracks that night, how it wasn't the first time, how beautiful the backcountry was with fresh snow in that moonlight, how it takes a mile to stop a train. Some mornings, my mother's voice in the kitchen. Spring rain, snow beginning to forget. Daughter, why do you lick beauty off your lip when you mean blister, betrayal, bruise? I leave you these half-finished confessions. I once threw a shelf aiming for you. I once nursed you through a fever that boiled over into Sunday. I once chased you through the rose garden 
as midnight cracked her black eggs against your cheek. How you ran, how it wasn't a dream. Now I have nothing left to give except the most fertile letters of my name. That rain, those flowers. Do you remember how I held you underwater, rinsing your hair even as you struggled? Do you remember what I promised as I pulled you back up for air? Mother's Day, cloudy, anti-floral, a pink clay rose with a skewer stem painted green appears at my feet as I slip out of bed. A third grade art project. There was once a whole bouquet, my small hands laid on your pillow while you slept the occasion away. You once showed me how to repot a house plant how we must rip apart the roots to encourage new growth. Now, after you, I see where I begin, how the roots must be torn, shriveled umbilici, how you promised me that a plant returned to the sill after many dark months will eventually bend towards the light. how to drown the ghost of a younger self. You once saw a girl baptized this way, a whole congregation waist deep, minnows flinched and nipped, water spilled from a pitcher of cupped palm and glassed her forehead. Unbutton the memory of your uncle wading into a lake with you in his arms. He only meant to teach you to swim because memories of the dead glide backwards you must forget to hold your breath. Refuse nothing. You are always a child who strives to avoid grief entirely. Always this child perched on the edge of the bathtub. Little ghost, you've missed her, but not like this. Hold a cloth under a stream of warm water and tell her you hate her for leaving, for coming back. This is the only way to keep her close. Wash the dust from her face and brush the webs from her hair. Agnes come undone in the little trap of your fingers. Open your palm and say, this is what you get for sleeping in the walls. Set the nests on the sill in case the spiders might still hatch. Like pussy willows, even dead, her softness astonishes you. Wash her face until she cries a witch grass silence and remember that you are and have always been this child allowed to slip out the back door into the hem of night. Cover her nose and mouth with the cloth. Close your eyes. Let the lake seep in. Rinse her until she is unimaginable. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I am Jenny Boychuk. I live in Victoria, BC. And uh, I ask an icebreaker question. It is a weird question, <laughs> and uh, people have told me it's very hard and even mean, um, but I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is. It is, if you could read only one book or watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, that is so hard. <laughs> 
I have to turn and look at my my stock of my favorite books. Um, I'm like I'm struggling because I'm I'm like, do I pick a collection of poetry? Do I click a, a novel? Um, I'm gonna choose Ocean Vong's novel on Earth where briefly gorgeous just because I think you could read I think you could read that novel every single time and it would be astoundingly beautiful every single time and I think that you would pick up nuances and and read it a different way every time I think it's timeless in that way yeah there's so much packed in to the lines in that yeah and as a poet too um there's poetry woven throughout it as well so I think for me it checks all the boxes yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start off um, by asking you about antonyms and because the title of your book is Antonyms for Daughter and I wonder what it was about antonyms that interested you yeah that's a great question it started off as I was walking actually um, I was living in Blind Bay with my parents actually it was I was taking sort of a gap year um, applying to grad schools. I had just recently finished my undergrad at UVic in writing. Um, and I was just thinking a lot of, or wrestling with um, my mom really, and and sort of what she was going through. And I was really wrestling with this idea of black and, and white thinking and, and really trying to, you know, figure out like, is she good or is she bad? Um, because I knew her as this whole person. And I knew that she had done a a lot of wonderful things and she had loved me in many kinds of ways, but she had also profoundly hurt me and was doing things that I could not imagine that she would ever do. And so I think it started with this idea of, of which one is it? And I think as humans, we really like it to be easy and we really like it to be black and white. I think we just naturally gravitate that way. And so the antonyms idea was sort of born out of this idea of like, what if it's not, that simple what if it's not black and white and then I started coming up with ideas for antonyms that things that don't actually have antonyms formally um and it was a way to sort of even though it's set up to be this sort of black and white idea because an antonym of course is the opposite of something what it really is doing for me is exploring the sort of gray area in between um and it was an exercise to sort of just really discover that there is no black and white of anything Um, Because even an antonym, it can't be an antonym without the thing it's the opposite of. So it's always both at once. My mother was always good and bad at at once, just like we all are. Yeah. I know that you also write creative nonfiction. And I wondered why poetry felt like the right genre and form for the stories and the images and and emotions you were exploring in this book. Like, why didn't did you try it in memoir and it just didn't feel right or how did that happen for you um my sort of introduction to creative nonfiction was through journalism first actually I thought I was going to be a journalist and then my last semester of my undergrad I took a poetry workshop and it really I'd been taking poetry workshops all along but it just hadn't clicked for me yet um but I was writing love poems about coffee and, and not really exploring you know the deeper stuff and Um, in that workshop I felt safe enough to start to write about my mom and so actually there are some poems the first poem in the book actually is the first one that I ever wrote and it was in that undergrad workshop it looks completely different than how it did then but 
yeah and I think and then from there I decided to do a graduate degree in poetry and my thesis was a collection of poems which was this book um, in its beginning forms it was about something else to begin with it was really more about being afraid to lose my mom and then of course she she passed away while I was there and it became about the grief of losing her and and all of that and so I think I think that coupled with the antonyms um, poems which had given it this sort of structure um, I think I was just working on it all along Um, while I was in graduate school I did sort of start leaning into creative nonfiction more as well and I am working on a a memoir now and in some ways I think it will be an extension of this book it was really just a matter of of what came first it's interesting because I was talking to um, Jordan Abel recently about kind of the like squishy boundaries of creative nonfiction because I think there are so many books that are poetry um, that we would find in the poetry bookshelf that are really like works of creative nonfiction too. Like, you know, Maggie Nelson's Bluettes is one that's always kind of argued about. And I just checked out um, Diamond Grill by Fred Waugh for the umpteenth time from the library. So there's books like that that I think of that are like, okay, fine, they're poetry, but they're also creative nonfiction as well. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, Maggie Nelson's Bluettes is also, that might be a good contender for one of my top books ever but I think it's just another one of those things where as humans we want to categorize things it makes it easy for us and so you know into poetry it goes but you're right it's often there are so many books that are not just one thing and um, there are multiple genres and that's a whole other conversation that I could nerd out on anytime (laughs) (laughs) that's one of my favorite conversations to nerd out (laughs) yeah Yeah. always yeah yeah um Something that always comes up with with books like yours and and of course Danielle Geller's is the the challenges of writing about family and I think it's one of the hardest things we do as writers and um, whether it's poetry or nonfiction or even you know fiction that family can start to be like I think that's me in the book, um but I wonder what it was like for you to write about your mother while also being mindful of your dad and your brother as well. Yeah, I will say I've said it once before, and I'll say it probably as long as I'm a writer, which hopefully will be forever. But I think it's really hard to write about someone and protect them at the same time. Um, And you want to do both of those things, I think. Um, So for me, while I was writing poems about my mom while she was still alive, I was very, um, I kind of kept them within close reach, I would say. Um, I was publishing in literary journals, but I knew that no one close to my mom or close to our family was going to randomly pick up a literary journal because it's just not, it's not the house that I was raised in. I wasn't raised into, in a house with a lot of books or um, or parents who like to read. And so um, in that way, that felt sort of protective. But there was this moment when I had finished my graduate thesis, which was a collection of poems, and my mom had asked to read it. And I just knew that I couldn't show it to her. Um, and so I essentially just, you know, put it off and and she she stopped asking um and I think now you know now that she's passed away the way that I I look at it is I always I never wanted to write about her unless I could approach it with like full empathy for for who she was as a human being but you know the truth of it is that now that she's passed away she she really can't be hurt and it's it's kind of you know the the conversation redirects itself up among those of us who are still here and 
my dad and I have had many conversations about it. He knows that we have to write, you know, we write about our lives. And I think in some ways, you know, I won't say that he's not uncomfortable with it at times, like, or, or vulnerable, I guess is probably the, the right word. He feels a little bit vulnerable about it. Um, my brother is fully supportive of it, has never, never really um, had an issue with it. But I think, I think the main thing is just to keep the lines of communication open. And I've always, you know, the, the sort of agreement my father and I have that I initiated, um, not him, was just that I would show him everything before it ever goes out into the world. And, and so that's, that's kind of the way that we've, we've made it work so far, but I think it's probably different for everyone. And it is incredibly nuanced and, and, and tricky, tricky waters to navigate for sure. Yeah. Something I, in your, the reading you did today, but as I was reading the collection, um, was these images of plants, but also flowers. And I was like the hyacinths in the early, I forget which poem it was now, but um, was repeated in that one poem. And and I wondered about those images of plants and flowers and, and what they, what you think they were helping you convey in these pieces. Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of poets are sort of naturally drawn to the, the natural world I think like in some ways we can't really help it even though we try try our best not to but the there's just so much um opportunity for metaphor there and I think you know sometimes we get tired about we get tired of saying that we're sad or we get tired of saying that we're going through grief and so the way that we work around that is by um focusing on on what's around us and you know maybe the tree is dying or Um, maybe there are like flowers where you didn't expect them to be this year Um, and so I think focusing on those things can sort of breathe new life and really communicate um, what's actually going on and um, but for me I I grew up in Revelstoke um, British Columbia and I was just surrounded by all kinds of natural beauty like the mountains the my mother had all kinds of flowers in her yard every year and um you know, there was a river just a couple blocks down and we spent our summers camping and things like that. So I think um, it's always just been such a big part of who I am. And, and I look at it as, as a mirror in some ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned mirror because one of the, one of the pieces I wanted to chat with you about is uh, Mirrorland. And I really enjoyed that piece because I think there's something really interesting in um when writers try to capture like adolescence or a certain um, time in life. And uh, maybe it's when I read kind of writers that are in the same age, like my peers, like your, your, that piece really spoke to me, but also like, I, I remember reading um, Kayla Zaga's dunk tank had a lot of those similar, like, Oh, I, I know what yeah. era <laughs> you grew yeah. up in. Um, but I wondered about the challenges of capturing adolescence in a way that doesn't come off as like because it is something people write about often but how you do that in a way that doesn't seem cliched but also speaks to your experience in a in an authentic way that's a great question I think I think for me it just starts with the image and it starts with the memory and not really trying to convey so much like what it felt like or um, or trying to over explain it. I think for me, it's more of like a, a time travel exercise. So you just kind of, you know, something triggers the memory and you kind of find yourself back in that space. And, 
And then when you go to the page with it, it's, you know, in that poem, especially, it was about form for me and sort of like, you know, like what happens if I, if I play around a little bit and make the, the form mirror what was really happening and, and make it sort of mirror the content. Um, I'm saying mirror a lot for a poem that has <laughs> the word mirrors in it. Um, yeah, I think it's not for me to be perfectly honest. I don't think it's, it's in all that conscious really. I think it's, and that, you know, with this book, there was no way not to sort of explore some of those childhood elements. When I think of you know, the book is really about, you know, growing up um, with my mother and, and I think it's about contrast too, in some ways, like sometimes to understand where we are now, we have to go back and, and sort of put the, the two phases of, of life up against each other to really, to really see them clearly, I think. Yeah. How did you, you know, these pieces are, are, they deal with a lot of um, grief and, and trauma and you're, you're triggering these memories to, of course, write the poems. How did you navigate, you know, the taking care of yourself so that you could be present on the page, but also, you know, not be able to live life and take care of yourself away from the work you do as a writer. I think for one thing, it, I wrote it over eight years. And so there were periods of time where I wasn't working on it at all, you know, working on other things or, or just working in general. Um, I think there were periods, you know, especially in the later phases when you're editing the whole book where you feel like, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really taking a lot of <laughs> a lot of this in right now because I'm so in it. But it was really for me, the most intense part of it was actually after the book came out um, and I was getting ready to launch it and um, just having lots of conversations about the book and, and kind of going through and figuring out, you know, what which poems I was going to read. And that was when they really started to hit me. Like people had always said, you know, your poems are really, you know, some of your poems are really intense, but I don't think I myself had, had always felt that in the moment until after the fact, I'm sure it's, it's, you know, some sort of protective quality, but so, so there's that. And then the other thing I will say is that I have uh, an absolutely incredible therapist and <laughs> she has changed my life in, in many ways. And so that's, that's been a big support as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about what you're working on now or are you someone who keeps your writing, your, your writing cards close to your chest? <laughs> you go in like the in between there um I am working on a memoir right now um so again in some ways I I see it as sort of an extension of this book it does very much have a focus on this idea of morality um and I think you know the way that we view people who are dealing with mental illness and substance use and it's also very much focused around hauntings and ghosts and memory and and all all that kind of all that kind of stuff so that's just a little (laughs) a little glimpse into it but that's what I'm I also have a friend um from grad school she's a poet as well and we every Sunday we um exchange a poem with with each other I don't find I often have time during the week um, because of my day job to to write that much but on Sunday I've, I've been carving out time um, to send her a poem and and so I don't know what that will become but but that's happening too. That was Jenny Boychuk. Her book Antonyms for Daughter is a finalist for the 2022 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. 
If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Callie George and Ellie McKay. Their book, The Secret Fawn, is a finalist for the 2022 Christy Harris Illustrated Children's Literature Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.